It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself in a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 108, which this week is going to look at the theme of education in a broader perspective. But first of all, let's catch up with some news. We do a theme each week in Quantum, but we also keep up to date with the news. Gunshots that aren't meant to kill but to celebrate. This car navigates the jeering crowd. Sitting inside is believed to be the arrested president, Ibrahim Boubacar Keita and other officials. And later on in the day, a weary looking President Keita appeared on state TV. If today it pleased some elements of our armed forces to conclude that it would end their intervention, do I really have a choice? I submit to it because I do not wish any blood to be shed to keep me in power. The uh, military coup in Mali, who the people apparently are fed up of the jihadists coming in and killing, and the government seeming to go along with this. One or two things that uh, uh, you should keep an eye on, the ongoing situation in Belarus, which I hope that we will cover here. There was the to my mind, disappointing and astonishing speech from Michelle Obama at the US Democrat Convention, where as a former president's wife, she engaged in a personal attack on the current president. Now, how much, no matter how much you may think he deserves it, it was not classy and it was not, how will he put it, when they go low, we hit high? No. That was disappointing. And then some news that you may have missed, but which is astonishingly important, and that is the United Emirates. United Arab Emirates deal with Israel, the recognition of Israel. UAE and Israeli foreign ministers held their first publicly acknowledged call on Sunday. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu hailed the deal as historic and said he was still committed to extending his nation's sovereignty over the occupied West Bank. This is another Arab nation, the third, to recognize the state of Israel. This is a huge deal. And in more normal times, it would feature prominently in our news, but it's almost a sideline in everything else. We did a special a couple of weeks ago on China. There's just so much news coming out of China. Not least, them wanting to block the 1.1 billion trade in Australian wine. Um, so... It seems a strange thing that the Chinese are going to be punished by not being permitted to drink Australian wine unless they pay a fortune for it. And then we spoke about COVID last week and it appears as though the island that was supposed to be free of it, New Zealand, now has almost 100 cases and they're in lockdown again and attempting to deal with it. And there's a lot of talk about uh, vaccines and everything else as well. I... I yeah, I'll not repeat anything that we said last week. And then before we get to education, actually kind of tied in with education. Do you recognize this?
one of the greatest films ever made, of course, Chariots of Fire. And the actor who played Ben Cross in Chariots of Fire, sorry, Ben Cross, he played Harold Abrahams in Chariots of Fire. He has died aged 72. I think no matter how many times I watch Chariot of Fi Chariots of Fire, it continues to inspire and to motivate. And of course, a lot of it was, as well as being about athletics and about Christianity, was also about education. So let's talk about education, what we mean by it and what we think should be happening and what is happening in education. Uh, Tony Blair once said, education, education, education. That's what the election was about. John Knox said that where you have a church, there you have a school. The Christian church has always been foundational in education. And can I just say this, that uh, my country, Scotland, was noted for its education. We were the people of the book, that is the Bible, and therefore we were literate people. And we were educated people, and there was the Scottish Enlightenment, and we sent engineers and doctors and missionaries and teachers and politicians all over the world. But no longer. Today, one in five Scots is functionally illiterate. And I think the education system is getting worse and worse. Anyway, I thought you, I think you suspect what song you thought I would play with this. But um, here's something that's, I think, more appropriate this summer. That, of course, is Alice Cooper and Schools Out. And uh, what is it? Schools Out Forever. Uh, we celebrate. Remember when you were at school, how you would celebrate getting out for the summer holidays? And by the end of the summer holidays, most of us were pretty well longing to be back. Well, schools, in some instances, in, in, have been out for four months or five months. And that is, of course, because of what we looked at last week, the COVID situation. Now, how can we quantify the effect that this will have upon children? One of the things I think it's demonstrated is the inequalities that exist within the education system. And that has been seen in the exams debacle, both in Scotland and in England. So I, if I can try and explain how this works, and I think it says a lot about our education system as well. And it goes straightforwardly like this. Uh, because the schools were not meeting, they decided, obviously, not to have exams. And then, but they wanted the pupils to get the qualifications. So the idea was that the teachers would grade the pupils on their tests, on their essays, on their classwork. Now, because teachers are going to vary in how they do that and therefore it's not uniform for a uniform standard 
and because teachers will tend mostly to be more inclined towards their pupils, uh, the government, both governments, decided to put in place, uh, using an algorithm, what the exam marks should be. And both in Scotland and in the rest of the United Kingdom, a considerable number of pupils were marked down. But here is the problem. They were marked down on the basis, not of what they as individuals had done, but of the school which they belonged to and of results from previous years within that school. And what that meant was this, and this is grossly unfair, is that if you were from a poorer area where the results had traditionally been bad, even though you yourself may have done well, you were downgraded. Now, I cannot describe how wrong and how unfair and how unjust that is. And it is. But I'm not sure that the solution that both governments have come up with is any better. So, in effect, Nicola Sturgeon tweeted, we're going to give the pupils what they think they should have. So the pupils kind of determine, oh my dear, they determine their own marks. So, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I did get an A in history, so I'm boasting, but I think I should have had an A in maths as well. So can, can you please give me that? It just seems a bizarre way of working. What's the point of exams? What are we trying to find out? And have we really reached a stage where we are determining people's value, people's education by algorithms. I think it's just showed up the complete mess that things are in. So what is education about? Surely the point of education, let me put this from a Christian perspective, is simply this. The point of education is to educate, is to teach children how to think, not what to think. It's to enable them to think for themselves. It's to give them the tools so that they can assimilate information and think about it. It's not to indoctrinate. Now, of course, in the Christian church, we can be accused of indoctrination. I would argue that the best of Christian teaching has not been that. But I would say that where we are moving in our society at the moment is our schools and universities are moving towards a system of social indoctrination. Now have a listen to uh, this gentleman. He's a teacher called Joshua Sutcliffe. As a teacher, I teach uh, around 150 students a day, uh, 30 in each class. And um, my first objective is to get to know each student by name, to encourage them in the classroom environment, to make them feel welcome, to make them feel this is somewhere that they can learn. For me, this student was a girl turns out this student wants to be called a boy. This is, you know, shouldn't be expected upon teachers to know. Now what happened to Joshua Sutcliffe was he was suspended from school um, because he misgendered a pupil, a girl who wished to be known as a boy. Now he says he didn't know about that. That's one of the pressures that teachers are under. He went to a different school. He's been suspended again because in a video, uh, not that something he taught in school, but something he put on his own personal um, video channel in a video entitled, What Does the Bible Say About Prophets? He said, I know this is controversial. I know that people by me might be offended by what I'm saying, but I do it in love and because I want to speak the truth. I believe Muhammad is a false prophet. I would suggest that Muslims have a false understanding of God because they've been led by a false prophet. Jesus is the only true prophet because he is God in the flesh. 
He is the voice of God. He brings true revelation and understanding because he is God. We have other prophets in this nation, never mind those that are following the teaching of Mohammed, and so on. Now, why should he not be permitted to say that? Because actually our Anyone who's not a Muslim tends to believe that Muhammad is a false prophet. Our secularists believe that. They believe they don't believe that what Muhammad said is true. And if what he said is not true, they're accusing him of being false. They're saying he's not a prophet. So why does this man saying this mean he's not fit to teach? And this is part of where the indoctrination and everything comes in. Because in order to teach, you are now being told you have to have the right politically correct views. If, for example, you believe the biological fact that a man cannot become a woman or a woman cannot become a man, then they'll say that you're not fit to teach. Now, I want to come on to consider the state of university education and again, particularly this uh, indoctrination aspect and also the turning of universities into commercial businesses, which it seems to me that's what they've significantly become. In Australia, I believe that they're the third largest um, business in terms of attracting at least overseas currency, which makes them a huge industry. But here are just some straws in the wind for, for different people. So, first of all, King's College London, which by the way used to be an Anglican college, have just put out uh, uh, advice saying that departments should ensure that Muslim students are finding the support and connections they seek. The geography department runs an excellent mentoring program which may be further improved if mentees had the option of highlighting different preferences for their mentors in relation to gender, ethnicity and religion. Now you stop and you think about what's being said there. That students are going to be able to choose their tutors, their teachers, according to their gender. I don't want a woman. According to their ethnicity. I don't want a white person. And according to their religion. I don't want a Christian. Seriously, we have here a major university in the United Kingdom advocating educational apartheid. And that's seen in a different way. This is an extraordinary story of uh, a man, Mr. Lamombi, who was a lecturer. He's in his 70s. He was sacked for gross misconduct for remarking during a private conversation with his course leader, Dr. Janet Bonner, this is, what did he say? He said, Jewish people are amongst the cleverest in the world. He mentioned Einstein and theoretical physicists like Robert Oppenheimer and Richard Feynman. Then he asked Dr. Boner, who's a physicist, are you Jewish? So she accused him of racism and then stormed out of their meeting. He had made other remarks as well, saying he had a soft spot for young black males who he thought were underprivileged and many without fathers. They need all the help they can get. The university authorities, get this, decided that he had created an offensive environment for Dr. Boner and that his views posed a risk to the university community and student and staff experience. By sacking me, says Mr. Lamonby, the university has ensured I'll never be able to teach anywhere again. And he's still very disturbed by this. He thinks it's anti-intellectual, which it is. He thinks it's limiting freedom of speech, which it is. And he said, I just simply wanted to help. To be called a racist after the life I've led is deeply wounding. I've been all over the world, experienced all sorts of cultures. It opens your eyes, gives you a better understanding of human nature. 
One thing I've noticed, he says, is that people are the same wherever you go. They might be a different color because of the density of the sunlight, but they're all the same. Same needs and hopes and aspirations. To me, there's only one race, and that's the human race, and we're all members of it. Well, listen, this is chilling to what Solent University said. That was his employers, by the way. We are pleased with the outcome of this hearing and its reflection of Solent's commitment to our university values and to promoting equality, diversity and inclusivity for everyone who works and studies with us. Everyone. Except, of course, Dr. Lamumby. Except, of course, people who dare to disagree with any of the so-called values of the university. So equality, diversity and inclusivity actually means no equality, uniformity and exclusivity. Breathtaking. That's why Doug Murray, in a fascinating article in The Telegraph, talks about how Britain's universities have become indoctrination camps. In theory, he says, universities are training people to be open-minded, perceptive and creative individuals. But for many people, university is an indoctrination camp, not a place for mental stimulation. Those who attend them are being factory farmed to have the same boring and malevolent views. For example, you have to be educated at a British university to go home and inform your parents that gender is a social construct or that the whole curriculum is colonial and needs to be decolonized. He talks about students being turned out as automatons, as robots. And then he talks about the racket of international students. And I've seen that here. I saw it in the University of Dundee. I've seen it elsewhere where international students, to be honest, are being milked for their money. That's what this is about. As Murray says, in fact, for most universities, foreign students are a piggy bank. Their eyes grow beady at the opportunity to charge fees above the cap imposed by the government on British students. Many years ago, one of our favourite programmes, Yes Minster, got this right. Enjoy this. Ah, oh, splendid dinner, Master. I always enjoy my visits here. Oh, I'm afraid this could be your last, Humphrey. Oh, why did I pass the port the wrong way? <laughs> <laughs> Tell him, Bertha. Bailey College is going to the war. It's your new government's policy of charging overseas students the full economic rate for their tuition. You see, most of the other Oxford colleges can cope, but we've always had an exceptional number of overseas students here at Bailey. Yes, but as I understand it, Master, you simply have to charge them a full fee, then there's no problem. Unless they can't pay it. Well, 4000 a year, they simply won't come. I've been everywhere. All over the USA, raising funds, trying to sell them the idea of an Oxford education. Africa is crawling with British professors, frantically trying to flog sociology courses to the natives. <laughs> <laughs> and India and the Middle East, the competition is cutthroat. But why don't you fill up your vacancies with British undergraduates? I don't think that's awfully funny. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be funny. My dear fellow, anything but home students. Why? We only get 500 a head for UK students. We'd have to take 400 to replace a mere 50 foreigners. And a staff-student ratio would go from 1 to 10 to 1 to 34. We'd have classrooms, dormitories. It would be like Wormwood Scrubs. <laughs> or the University of Sussex. <laughs> OK, let's come back to schools. Um, 
Michael Moore made this incredible documentary. I don't agree with it, all of it, but this is part of what he said about the Finnish system. Back in the day, Finland's schools sucked on the level that ours suck on. When they tested the world's kids, both Finland and us were usually about the same, you know, somewhere down the list of nations. But Finland didn't like that. So they tried some new ideas, and in no time, Finland shot to the top of the world. Their students were number one. How did they do that? That was the one question I wanted an answer to, and I went straight to see the enemy's minister of education. Before I could say anything, she blurted out their top secret. They do not have homework. Wait, so you reduce the homework you give yes. them at school? Yes. They should have more time to be kids, to be youngsters, to, to enjoy the life. How many hours of homework did you get last night? Um, about 10 minutes or something. 10 minutes of homework. Yeah. yeah. Maybe 15 minutes or 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Now here's the fascinating thing. The Finnish system is considered generally to be the best education system in the world. And here they don't have homework. <laughs> That's one thing. Um, and then this from ABC. Listen to the first bit of this. This is a school system that for years has been among the world's best. And then what about this gold one? Yeah, Mintu, please. And yet these kids will spend half as much time in a classroom as Australian children. When you go to the first grade, when you are seven years old, the amount of hours is 20 hours a week. It's the minimum. And then it gets um, more hours the older you get, but it's still less than in many countries, in Europe or in the world. In Finland, it's individual teachers who decide how the curriculum is taught, including how much technology should feature in their classrooms. Now I put links to these up in my blog so uh, you can uh, watch them. Both of these small YouTube clips are well worth seeing in full. But the 20 hours per week. And here's the thing, I remember a group of teachers going from Scotland being absolutely horrified when they went to Finland to find that there were children climbing a tree in the playground and the teacher, the, the Scottish teacher said, well, why do you let them do that? To the Finnish teacher, he said, yeah. Well, of course, they are children, they play. He said, yeah, but what if they fall? Yeah, they fall, they break an arm, so they learn. It was just, you know, we're so averse to that kind of thinking. I don't think Finland's perfect, but I think we have a lot to learn from it. Not least that they really value teachers. And in fact, teaching is considered to be one of the highest professions. And it's very well paid too. So maybe there's a lesson for us to learn in that. Okay, before we go, and I am, we are going to play out with um, the piece of music that those of you who know me would know that I would choose. Let me say something about Christian schools. I, I wrote a piece in the Free Church Record, and again, we'll put the link onto that. Now, here's one of the problem with Christian schools. It is perceived, particularly in Scotland and in some other countries, that, not to put too fine a point on it, it's the nutters who want Christian schools. You know, people they consider, oh, really extreme, like young earth creationists or people who want to teach that, 
you know, you, you do arithmetic by going one for God, two for the two natures of Christ, three for the Trinity, four for the Gospels, and so on, who perceive schools as being for indoctrination. That's not what a Christian school is. And I think it's deeply unfair to caricature. And I think also, if you say we're only going to leave this to the eccentrics, then by definition, it is only going to be the eccentrics. But it does seem to me that there is a very serious question to be raised. Are you going to send your children to Sunday school for half an hour a week and to send your children, if you're in Finland, it's for 20 hours a week, but if you're not in Finland, it's for a lot more than that, to send them to state school, day school, private school or whatever, to be indoctrinated in social progressivism, in anti-Christian views. How are you going to counter that? See, I think Christian schools should be an opportunity not just for our own children, but they should be an opportunity for the poor. They should be an opportunity to provide a better education so that that's not just for those who can afford the fanciest uh, private schools. So I think we need to think about this a whole lot more. And I've repeated this ad nauseum for years, and it seems to me that almost nobody's listening. But if we don't do it soon, it's going to be too late. I'm thankful that here in Australia... There are a significant number of Christian schools and a significant number of the private schools are Christian. And I hope and pray that in other countries that will increasingly be the case because we need education. And yes, this is the song we play out with Pink Floyd's We Don't need no education funny how in the video of it of course it's the scottish teacher who's cruel and sexually repressed and vindictive and doesn't just believes in teaching by rote that's a caricature both of teachers and of scotsmen but we do need education we need good education we do not need education where the pupils decide their own grades we do not need education which is social indoctrination we do not need education which is just training up people for a predetermined role in society we need real education with poetry and with art and with music and with sport and with science and with history and with english and we, we need this education that will stimulate the minds of children and bring out the best in them and encourage them in so many different ways. And the church of all places, we should be the people who are encouraging and bringing that forward. So God bless you all. Uh, next week, I'm not sure what we're going to do yet. We're, we're looking at, I'm looking at a couple of different subjects. Thank you for all the responses. Thank you for those who are um, support uh, on the Podbean fundraiser. Continue to do so. And thank you for the suggestions. Keep them coming in as well. God bless you all. Hey.